There is a book by James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love. He is building off the work of St. Augustine, who talks about this uh, in his confessions. He sets before in his book a powerful illustration, though, that many of us need to consider that we quite typically do not. And that is to actually take time to ask ourselves, what do I love? What do I want? What do I really want? What do I desire? From a 1979 film called Stalker, there is this Russian movie in which an apocalypse has happened, every you know, society has crumbled, the world is falling apart, it is a place uh, where, where people you know, need food, they need safety, they don't have any of these things because everything has crumbled down around them. But what they have discovered is there is this one place that, that still exists. And if you get to that place called the zone, then if you get there, there is a door. And if you pass through the door, you get what you want. Not because you ask for it, but because whatever it is you truly desire in the depths of your heart is what takes place. Now think about that for a moment. It sounds pretty good, right? And not, not just in general, but especially like within the plot of the movie. If the world had collapsed and you didn't have something like food, something like safety, provision, relationship, love, right? So much of what we take for granted within society because of the order in which we live that, that we typically um, presume upon and don't always explicitly set our minds on. But imagine beyond that. Imagine right now if, if I could take you and stand you in front of a door and I asked you, what is it that you truly desire? Because if you open this door and walk through, you will get it. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? In the movie, what ends up taking place is it calls attention to what you and I are not typically aware of and that is the question, well, what is it that I truly want? And what happens within the movie is they don't know. 
And so what appears to be this amazing opportunity, I can open a door, I can walk through it, and I can have the deepest desires of my heart becomes a fear and a dread because they don't know what's going to actually be there when they step through. Do you know what you want? Do you know what you truly want? What you want in the the depths of your heart? Do you really know what it is that you desire? Do you truly know what it is that gets you out of bed in the morning, that sends you throughout your day, that, that leads into the, the different things that you do, the things you pursue, the, the way you engage in relationships, not only the people that you engage with relationship, but how you operate within that relationship? Do you really know? What Jesus tells us in our text this morning is there is a way for us to learn this. And what we do is we follow the money. Some of the big questions that have been set before us by Jesus within the Sermon on the Mount are these questions that are the fundamental questions of existence. Who is truly well off? How does one live and experience the good life? Where does blessedness come from? What is it that that leads to flourishing within the world? And for us as believers, where we are living in a world that is not our home, how do we flourish in the midst of a world that is not our home in which, because we are connected to Jesus Christ, we are opposed as Jesus Christ was opposed? What is it? that leads to Christian flourishing. And he has given us some of the most counterintuitive responses. The virtues of humility. The virtue of living for someone else's good. The virtue of Living for the purpose of magnifying God's goodness, truth, and beauty to one another and to our enemies. That's what leads to Christian flourishing. Not strength, not money, not power, not influence. Not prestige, not through having a a superior military. What leads to Christian flourishing is humility. Living for others' good. Living 
to magnify God's truth, goodness, and beauty. Especially to those who don't value it. That is how you and I live the good life and experience flourishing in this way. Now, here's what's interesting. You can, as Jesus has just gotten done talking to us about, you can live for someone else's good in a right way or in a wrong way. So it's not even that you just live for, you know, live for others. You've got to do it in a way that is right. What's the wrong way to live for others? Well, the, the wrong way to live for others, as we have looked at, is, is uh, what one author has called the respectability trap, where we live to be seen by others. We live to be valued by others. We live to be respected by others. We live to be thought well of by others. And so what has Jesus said? When you practice your righteousness, don't do it so others see it. Do it so that your father in secret sees it and rewards it. So when it comes to living out our faith and when it comes to the practices of the virtues and values of the kingdom of God, we can live for others in a way that actually contradicts. What Jesus is saying. And so if you give money for charity, there's a way for you to do it where you're doing it for the applause or you're doing it for devotion to God. When it comes to prayer, you can do it in such a way that people think really well of you. Oh man, did you hear his prayer today? Or you can do it in a way that reveals devotion to the Father. When it comes to fasting, oh man, did you see how awful he looked? I, I found out he's been fasting for five days. Wow, how spiritual. Versus fasting as a way to help you connect more closely with your Father in heaven and as a mode of helping you disconnect from misusing and overvaluing the things of this world something like food you can live for others in a way that's not part of the gospel kingdom but there is a way to live for others that is For the Pharisees, what we have been told here in the Sermon on the Mount is that our righteousness is to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. The ones who live to, we, to, to possess and wield power. Those who, who live to be thought well of and to be thought of super spiritual by others those who want to set the rules and those who want to control others. Those whom we are told emphasize outward behavior while ignoring the inward reality. What Jesus does here is 
what he talks about you know, in a much more simpler way in Luke 16 is he reminds us Pharisees were lovers of money. And we are not to be lovers of money. If our righteousness is going to surpass that of the Pharisees, it's not just going to be in this theoretical or or this spiritual trying to connect the external with the internal and keep them together. It's going to come very specifically with regards to the biggest challenge that you and I have in doing that, and that is with regard. Watch out! Greed is right there. Avarice is crouching at the door. Watch out! It's interesting, as one as one person said, you never hear Jesus say, watch out! You're committing adultery. Well, why? Well, because you know when you're committing adultery. Oh, well, this isn't my wife. Oh, what happened? Now, we laugh because it's obvious. You know when you're committing adultery. We never seem to want to know if we're being greedy. I've heard other pastors say it, and I feel like I have been a pastor long enough to now say it for myself. I have never had anyone come to my office and say they need prayer and that they need instruction from the Word because they know that they are wrestling with greed and avarice. It is one of those things that Jesus tells us here in this text that quite often we're blinded to. And one of the reasons we're blind to it is because we don't ask the questions that we need to ask to even know whether or not we struggle with greed and avarice. Now Jesus here very clearly is laying out for us that what he is talking about here very specifically is money. Now, he doesn't say it explicitly until the very last statement of this passage. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve, as some older translations say, both God and mammon. And what Jesus is doing here is he's operating within a a known uh, way of discourse about money that was uh, taking place back in the ancient Near East where money was often personified as if money was an actual living, breathing thing that could will and take action and could do things. John Milton he takes this up in his, his poem, Paradise Lost, where there is a demon that is named Mammon. And this demon is focused on gold. He is focused on 
money. And that is because there was, you know, historically throughout the ages, quite often in different forms of wisdom literature, money was often personified in such, in such a way that it wasn't just theoretically a god, but where they thought of it as actually like a god a God that could wield power, a God that could control, a God that could deceive, a God that could get you to do something. Jesus here refers to money in this way, within this personification. And what he is warning us is that if we are not careful to make sure that we are actually engaged in asking ourselves, what do I want at the depth of my heart? If we're not doing that, we put ourselves in danger of serving mammon instead of serving Christ. You cannot have two lords. Now, the English here in the ESV says masters, but... In the Greek, it's the word kurios. It's the same word that's used for Lord to describe God. It's the same word used for Lord to describe Jesus. And that is because, beloved, you and I live within a reality in which there is this constant struggle of which Lord are we going to serve. So Jesus tells us here, we have to be aware. We have to practice self-awareness, self-consciousness when it comes to the issue of the connection of the internal desires of our hearts in connection with the external approaches and utilization of money. And what Jesus tells us very simply is this. What you treasure is what you serve. What you serve is what you love. What you love will enslave you. The issue here, just so we're clear, the issue here is not money. The issue here is not that Jesus is saying money is evil. Jesus is not saying having money is evil. Jesus is not a Marxist saying that profits and capitalism is evil. What he's saying is that you and I have evil within our hearts. And we can approach it either in an evil way or a righteous way. What you treasure is what you serve. What you serve is what you love, and what you love will enslave you. Jesus comes right out of the gate and says, do not treasure earthly treasures. That's what it says. Do not treasure earthly treasures, where Both words, you have the verbal form of the word and the noun form of the word that are being used in conjunction with one another. Do not treasure earthly treasures, but instead treasure 
heavenly treasures. So once again here, what Jesus is not saying is that the act of treasuring is wrong. What does it mean to treasure? It means to lay up, set aside, to store, to possess, to save. Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to do these things. The question is, what is the object of your treasuring? It's interesting here is Jesus is also, he's referring to the end of a process. He's referring to the goal of a process. And the process itself includes treasuring. You see, you're going to lay up, you're going to set aside, you're going to store, you're going to possess, you're going to save something that you desire, something that you have pursued, something that you are accumulating, and something that you are going to protect. Once again, none of that's evil. None of that's sinful. The issue is, what is the object of your treasuring? If you treasure the treasures of earth, you will experience some blessing, but only for a time. Because what happens to the treasures of earth? Well, moths eat them up. And and, and back when Jesus was talking here, very few people had accumulated actual currency, what What they had was stuff. You had a cloak that was very expensive because of how it was made. And often cloaks would be passed through from one generation to the next. What can happen to that cloak? A moth will eat it. What can happen to that thing? Rust eats it. There's mold. There's mildew. Things are falling apart. They do not retain their value if it is a treasure of earth. What else can happen to a treasure of earth? Well, someone can steal it. You save it, and someone steals it. You lay it aside, someone says, thank you. It's interesting, the Greek word for stealing, it is, it is literally klepto. <laughs> but there is this process. We want something. So we do what? We go after it. And we start getting it. And we start accumulating it. And then we start protecting it. What's interesting is the way money's being described here is not you get something to spend it. You get it to hold on to it. You desire it, go after it, get as much as you can, and then you protect it with all your might. A treasure is something that is of value. What's interesting, Daniel can speak to this much better than I can, is sometimes there are things that have inherent value, I guess gold. 
Other times things are very valuable to you that are not inherently valuable. Your great-great-grandmother's quilt. Right? And Jesus doesn't say, don't treasure up the treasures of inherent value. He just says, don't treasure the treasures of earth. So it doesn't matter if it's something that is of inherent value, like gold, or if it's a little trinket, like the cutout part of a pretzel bag that says, Kraken good. Whether it's inherently valuable, or if it's valuable to you, what Jesus is saying is, watch out. One of the most interesting uh, assignments that I did in seminary was for a class on the church and the world in which the assignment was, uh, and I forget the period of time, but it was long enough to hurt, but the, the, the assignment was that each student got to pick one modern convenience that you were going to do without, and I forget for how long it was. Whatever it was, it felt like years. It was probably a month. But we were told, give up a modern convenience for this amount of time. Well, what I decided was I was going to give up the use of my check card. Part of that was because we had been listening to Dave Ramsey a little bit, starting to drink a little bit of the Kool-Aid. And it was like, oh, well, this gives me the excuse to try the cash-only thing. Anyway, a lot of it was also I was lazy, and I thought this will be the easiest thing to do because, one, I'm a seminary student, and that means I'm poor. I don't have a lot of money, so it's not a big deal. But I also started thinking through, it's, it's like, well, my life doesn't bear out the marks of greed. I did not own anything that couldn't fit in my car other than my surfboard, which went on top of the car, until I got married. I didn't have a piece of furniture until right before we got married. When I had lived on the beach, I didn't have a bed for a long time. I had a hammock strung up in my bedroom. The hammock that had been given to me. When Christy and I uh, were dating and got engaged, I didn't have a bed then either. And I had a couch that had been given to me that I slept on. I, I could look back on my life and it was like, you know, I didn't live for money. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, you know, pursuing work that would give me a lot of money, I often pursued the type of work that would allow me to surf and, and play volleyball and obviously eat. So I was like, this is no big deal. I'm not a greedy person. I don't have money to spend. I don't, I don't really spend money. So what's the big deal? This will be my easy way to get an A on this assignment. And so I gave up my check card, and I think it was within two days that I realized how angry I got when I went to get gas for my car 
and had to use cash. But look, that wasn't the big thing. The big thing was when I wanted to go inside and get a Diet Coke. And I didn't have any cash on me. And I was literally standing there with my check card in hand, ready to abandon the assignment. Greed is not always about wanting something that is of inherent value. It's about wanting what you wanting what you value. And in that moment, I valued a Diet Coke and had already worked out the justification. I was full-time in seminary. I was working full-time for Chase. And I was sleeping not quite four hours a night. I was living on caffeine. To the point that it was creating heart issues and all kinds of stuff was going on. And it was like, I need this. I didn't need it. I wanted it. Jesus tells us, when your eye is good, your body's full of light. When your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. What does he mean by that? Well, when your eye is functioning, right? And you live in a world where there's a sun and there's light. When your eye functions correctly, you take in that light. And through that light, you get to see. If your eye is not functioning correctly... That light doesn't come in. You don't perceive that light. And when you're not perceiving the light, guess what else you don't also perceive? You don't perceive anything else through sight. You have to touch it or smell it or hear it or taste it. Jesus uses a word here for healthy or uses a word for good here for a good eye, a healthy eye that has a double meaning. It is a word that means good. It is a a word that means healthy. It is also a word that means generous. What is he saying? Now, he has already said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Well, then how do you know where that is? You have to take the actions of striving to perceive it. And what Jesus is telling us here is one of the most basic operative principles of our heart that will help us to assess where our treasure is so that we can know where our heart is, is through the paradigm of generosity. Your generosity shows you where your heart is. And what's the struggle? It is quite often not generosity that is the mode through which we are assessing ourselves. How do we typically assess ourselves? If we're honest, it's on the basis of 
Am I getting what I desire? It is so typically difficult to recognize how we truly relate to money. And as American Christians who have been so blessed, it is so quite typically difficult for us to assess ourselves given that we live in the most wealthy culture and society that has ever existed in history. And that's not a bad thing. It's how we relate to it that Jesus is trying to get us to see. And so what does Jesus tell us? Money, when personified, can either blind us or it can help us see. And what Jesus tells us is don't treasure the things that have no lasting value. You treasure the things that last forever. And so he is calling us as his people to take purposeful steps to utilize our engagement with generosity as a means to assessing what it is that we truly desire. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Watch out for the blinding effect of the treasures of earth. Why? Because what you want is what you serve. What you serve is what you actually love. And what you love will enslave you. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have become a bondservant of the triune God as those who have inherited in Jesus Christ every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. And because you are no longer dead in your sins and trespasses, you have been raised up, made alive, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places where you and I are now called to set our minds on the things of heaven and to set our hearts upon that which God himself treasures. You see, the reason treasuring is not bad is because God treasures. God tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we read that God treasures Jesus Christ as the stone who was not treasured by man. And he says to those who are of faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is to be precious to us as well. 
God tells us that he is our shield, that he is our exceeding great reward. And why has he told us that? So that we will treasure him and recognize that he is offering us not just the blessings of the heavenly places, he's offering us him. I am not just the God who will make you and rule you. I am the God who gives myself to you. So that you can treasure me. And so that you can treasure what I treasure. And so, beloved, we are told that what we are to treasure are the realities of what is true within the Trinity, what is true within Jesus Christ, what exists within the heavenly places, which is our current possession inheritance even right now. So that what we set our hearts upon to to desire and to pursue and to accumulate and to protect are things like compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. Within the harmony that exists within the Trinity and the harmony that exists within the kingdom of God, where God in his unopposed glory lives within his own relishing and treasuring the preciousness of himself. And calls us to join him in what he is doing. Do you want to break the power of the blinding effect of that money can have in your life? Do you want to exercise that eye of generosity through which you get to truly see and truly value what you should? then we have to intentionally cultivate within ourselves the practice of treasuring what God treasures. And we find that in his word. We experience that within worship. Lord willing, next Sunday we will taste and see it when we hold the sacrament of the bread and the cup. Are you cultivating in your relationship with God? Are you approaching it where he is your precious? Maybe you don't know what your precious is. But you and I don't have to be scared to stand in front of that door. And to wonder what's going to be revealed to us when we pass through. Because, beloved, in Jesus Christ, more than we could ever hope for, more than our imaginations could ever desire, more than our wills could ever want, has already been provided to us in Christ. And when we walk through that door, What we will see is a smiling heavenly father and receive the warm embrace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
that what no eye has seen and what no ear can hear is freely given to those who but simply trust in Christ. Beloved, this past Thursday uh, evening, when the officers met to finalize the budget, we passed a budget that is the biggest budget that we've passed since I got here. And that is because we are striving in the ministry of this church to value what God values. And we are striving to where we want to be a blessing to this community. We want to be a blessing to you. And we want to be a blessing to God. And so money is not evil, but it's also something that we're not supposed to accumulate for ourselves and then guard it. Money is a tool that God blesses us with that when we steward it right, we indeed bear witness as the salt and light of the kingdom of God here on earth, even as it will one day be in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would reveal to us those things that we desire, those things that we crave, that we might learn, Lord, to let go of them more and more in order to fill ourselves with something greater and to give ourselves to something that can never decay that can never be lost. And so, Father, help us to live as your kingdom citizens, where we ourselves are are cultivating the realities of the heavens within ourselves, not that we could have some pie-in-the-sky escapist faith, but that we might truly possess and, and enjoy what it is that you are offering to this world through us. And so, Father, help us to unreservedly run to you, to be filled by you, that we would truly have your goodness, your truth, and your beauty to take out to those who are in your image and yet whose desire function is broken by sin, And use us, Lord, to present to them what they were designed for and what you will redeem them for through the perfections of the eternal realities of Jesus Christ. Father, bless us within our worship, within our discipleship, and within our mission. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.